1: It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
0: Yeah, they checked my ID at the door, let me in anyway. Of course, I'm at home, so (laughs) kind of hard to toss me out, though they've thought of it. Good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good to have you with us for this 17th day of September, and of course, on the Thursday edition of Lifeline. We've got a lot going on, much to speak about. We're going to dive in a little bit later on in uh, tonight's program, get you an update on the elections. I hope you're following very closely. You know, there's so much talk in relationship to the presidential aspect of the election that we forget that there are the House of Representatives up for re-election, one-third of the United States Senate is up for re-election. We have critical, critical... Propositions, especially across the state of California, and a number of these propositions that are in kind of the red herring category, in that they they are not exactly what they appear to be, including a couple of doozies that are direct attacks on the integrity of Proposition 13, largely because the mismanagement of the finances of this state in the hands of the Democrat controlled legislature, coupled with the economic downturn that we've experienced post-COVID-19, means states strapped for cash, $52, 54000000000 billion budget shortfall this year. And how do you make that up? Simple. Reach into the pockets of overstressed taxpayers and demand more. And in order to make the medicine go down, tell them it's for firefighting or schools. Find a soft spot where people are concerned. We're always concerned about the education of our children, right? Certainly doing more to reduce the risk to life and property of wildfires in California. is kind of the top of the agenda these days. And so if you create a couple of propositions and wind in an amendment or two that relates to something that will get people's attention. It's amazing how quickly uninformed voters in California will vote for what it appears to be on the surface, not realizing what really lies below. And, uh, I think a good conversation about the importance of being fully aware of every aspect of what you're voting on, uh, will be a good visit with the uh, Brian Johnston on that topic later on in uh, tonight's program i do want to give you a a little bit of an update we were anticipating christine mcmurrow with cal fire to join us here at the top of the hour for an update and uh, she has been called elsewhere so i will uh, at least give you the numbers as i know them there's pretty decent progress going on in relationship to dealing with the california wildfires though as i say that be mindful that some 17,000 plus firefighters remain on the front lines as we speak in some 26 major and three extended wildfires just in the state of California. In fact, since the beginning of 2020, there have been 7,900 wildfires that have consumed some 3.4 million acres. So far, 5,400 structures destroyed, and most regrettably, 25 fatalities. To date, the LNU Lightning Complex fire, which of course has been largely in Sonoma, Solano, Yolo counties, has burned 363,000 acres, that 98% contained. The SCU Lightning Complex fire, that's Contra Costa Alameda, Parts of Santa Clara, San Joaquin counties, 396,000 acres burn. 98% contained. The CZU Lightning Complex fire, that's the one along the coast in San Mateo and Santa Cruz counties, 86,000 acres at 95% containment, almost 1,500 structures destroyed and sadly one fatality. Right now, the big ones that continue to consume resources here in our state, along with wildland. The Creek Fire, Fresno County, so far 244,000 acres, only 18% contained. Evacuations remain in effect. There are over 650 structures that have been destroyed in that fire so far, and again, only 18% containment. The El Dorado Fire in San Bernardino County 18,000 acres that's a 63% containment and the SQF Complex that's in Tulare County just north of uh, Kernville 122,000 acres 12% containment the Dolan Fire down in Monterey County 125 acres 40% contained and the troubling thing as we see these containment numbers that are still way off of where they need to be. Uh, Be mindful, we're only halfway through fire season. Uh, We've got the balance of September and all of October to go. So it's really important for all of us to be extra, extra cautious. I know we're facing cabin fever, and if you get the want to to head out of town and want to enjoy a little different atmosphere you know, anywhere near a forest, don't do crazy things. Take extra precautions and uh, do all we can to uh, prevent forest fires. This is becoming an ongoing, nagging crisis in the state of California. And as we've seen in this fire season, sadly, also impacting our neighbors pretty significantly to the north of us, both Oregon and Washington state experiencing unprecedented levels of wildfires, certainly the likes of which I've not seen in my lifetime. And uh, we're hoping that this doesn't become the new normal, although it raises certainly some serious questions about uh, how we address changes in atmosphere that create these soaring temperatures. I mean, did you ever think you'd hear a day when it would be 110 Approaching 115 degrees in Livermore. I mean, even for Brentwood, that's hot. But you're really talking Mojave Desert, Palm Springs temperatures. When you get 105 degrees plus, if you're 110, 115 degrees. Um, that, that's not even seasonably warm. That that's uh, uh, that's in the flames of the oven hot and therein of course lies part of the problem that the excessive temperatures create kindling and of course the lack of a normal historic uh, traditional um, rainy season where we get enough water that helps to uh, uh feed all these trees and plants to make them less susceptible to fires um becomes a very deadly combination so um just a warning, I guess, to all of us that call a state like California home. We are enormously blessed at what God has created us here to enjoy. Let's make sure we're doing everything we can to take care of it. And, um, you know, you can live in a neighborhood that's not necessarily in a forest, but in a wooded area as we experienced back in the 90s with the uh, the tragic Oakland-Berkeley Hills fire. And so don't think just because we're here in the Bay Area that we're not susceptible. And uh, you should always be ready. And if you want some tips, you can go online. CAL FIRE has got a great website that will give you all the insights as to what you can do to to help make your home, your property, uh, more fire retardant. And to do so, go to readyforwildfire.org. That's readyforwildfire.org. And you can get more information right there. Okay, at 5.15, we're going to get you some more information on traffic. When we come back after um, this update, we'll also take a look at the markets, see how things are shaping up for the week. The Federal Open Market Committee did their thing yesterday. What does that mean to you and me? We'll talk about it. Alex Perry from Vitucci & Associates joins us coming up around the corner. To help get you around that corner, here's a look at traffic.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: All right, welcome back to the program. 20 minutes after the hour here on your Thursday ride home or wherever you might be, maybe in the uh, kitchen right now, whipping up a little something for uh, dinner. If so, um, I can be out of here by 7. Just send me the directions. <laughs> Tell me what to bring. All right, let's let's uh, let's see what our friends at the Federal Open Market Committee have brought. They're, of course, the uh, quarterly meeting was held last Wednesday, and um, always important to be watching what the committee is doing because their actions in related to the prime interest rate um, often sends a message to the rest of us in terms of not just the health of the economy, but where the Fed sees the future of the economy going. So we'll take a look at that, but first let's get you an update on Wall Street and how things have ended up on the day. Joining us is Alex Perry. Alex is a premier advisor with Vitucci and Associates. Of course, the program "Don't Invest and Forget" heard every Saturday on our sister station, Saturday at eight a.m. on AM twelve twenty Business Radio twelve twenty KDOW. Alex, great to have you with us. Hey, Craig, thanks for having me again. well, well on, this, uh, on this Thursday, tell us what's going on in terms of the markets. Oh, yeah, I'd love
2: to. I mean, it was kind of a volatile week today, especially as the Fed did announce that they're holding those rates in, and it kind of caused a sell-off across the board. The Dow Jones dropped. and settled at about 130 points down. The Nasdaq, a little bit over 1% down, really dragged down by the FANG stocks underperformance. That's being... You know, the Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, that didn't really perform as well today in reaction to the Fed locking that low interest rate. In addition to that, the Nasdaq also dropped around 1%, and the commercial real estate REIT sector was really, really affected the most, actually dropping about 2.2%, unfortunately, in response primarily to that Fed rate being locked in at that zero rate for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, certainly the um, the Fed is nervous about making any moves in that arena that would potentially spook the markets. And, of course, you know, the the addition of all the uncertainty, what's going to happen with the elections? Where do we stand with COVID-19? When will a vaccine be made available and how soon will that feel its impact across the health of America? All of these questions, I guess, really lead to levels of uncertainty the markets haven't seen in Quite some time, and so the Fed has got to be cautious in in what it do does, and and uh, I guess the message that it that it communicates um, when it makes these actions that, while perhaps not directly impacting us, it does impact access to money and the cost of money, things of that sort. Give us a bit of a sense, if you would. You you make comment about some of the volatility that's also been impacting um, the. Um, tech sector of late we know that certain Mm -hmm. um, shares have took a bit of a walloping even even tesla for a while they're sort of the golden boy of uh, tech stocks has seen some (laughs) difficult days and and yet this i guess juxtaposed against other signals within the uh, the tech sector that are encouraging for example the ipo market who would have thunk it given all that's going on with the economy these days that we would still see some very encouraging ipos out there
2: yeah, that's, that's one of the strange things. Like, um, I had, I've been a little pessimistic looking at the economy the last few weeks, especially the last few months with how volatile everything is. And this IPO kind of gave me a little bit of optimism. Snowflake opening at 110 and closing 111% above that at, I believe, what was it, 253? Who would have thought? A company that nobody really knew about before kind of made waves and gave kind of somebody a little bit light at the end of the tunnel despite this. You know, Fed locking in um, a low rate through 2023 at least it kind of gives breeds a little bit of pessimism. But then at least this is kind of some optimism there with this IPO um, kind of coming to fruition. And I'm I'm excited to see maybe the IPO market might heat up again. Um, and it I don't certainly really can be
0: some... this, oh, Sorry, what was that? Not to say that, that, And that certainly opens some doors for opportunities for investors that um, are in a position to take a little bit more risk. Maybe you've got some more time in the market. They're not really concerned about the utility of the money in a short term. And and mm-hmm. so in that regard, then there are aspects of this crazy, <laughs> sometimes dysfunctional, often very confusing, uh, world of money that we're in, with this disconnect between what's happening on ways, Main Street versus what's happening on Wall Street. That at least, at least for the long-term investor, can be encouraging.
2: Uh, God, you hit the nail on the top of the head right there. There is a light at the end of the tunnel as we are moving through this pandemic. You know, job losses. Is- at an all-time high. I think 800,000 people a week are applying for unemployment still since March. It's like you said, this disconnect exists between Wall Street and Main Street, as Wall Street is still performing fairly well, bouncing back from March lows to still getting still volatile through the rest of the year. But we can feel it on Main Street as you see, you know, mom and pops are closing. Small businesses are the most affected. So this disconnect is somewhat disheartening. But at least it gives somebody something to root for, as you know, your Tesla shares are shooting up through the roofs, even though maybe propping you up a little bit. But it is a little bit odd. Being an ec- economist and by nature, and you know, by study, it's fascinating for me. But being an investor, it's also terrifying because I just don't. We don't really know what's going to happen next. As you know, there's so many different aspects in the future that are coming up. with the election, like you attributed to. You know, the pandemic, the, um, the vaccine is now said maybe it's going to be November of next year, while Trump is saying, no, it needs to be come out this year. So there's a lot of disconnect and a lot of confusion in the market that breeds this volatility as people don't really know what to hang their hat on anymore. They're Like, well, usually we used to point at this being like, OK, this is a sign of good of good faith in the market. But really, we don't really know how things are going to shape up with the rest of the year.
0: And with that in mind, you know, with again this this disconnect, as you're suggesting, um, it's perhaps frustrating for people that have lost a job. They're unemployed. They're not sure of their prospects for becoming reemployed anytime soon, and yet their four hundred one k, their IRA, is just doing fantastic. Thank you very much. So <laughs> yeah. I, I I guess the big question comes down to. Is this a time, you know, some people invest with their heart, meaning they allow their emotions to kind of, uh, you know, drive the the decision-making process. But I have to wonder, is this a time better for investors, particularly folks that have retirement within uh, the the gun sites here shortly, uh, to sort of divorce themselves from the emotional approach and be more pragmatic about this? In other words, a more strategic intellectual approach that disconnects the sense of, uh, the volatility that drives us all wild.
2: I I couldn't agree more. You know, a lot of people there, especially entering into retirement or COVID, kind of uh, sped up their retirement aspirations. You know, they're on this roller coaster right now that they kind of need to you know step off of. Sure, it's like keeping some market exposure is always good for a portfolio, but if your four hundred one k you saw a dip by you know ten to twenty percent in March, has bounced back. Maybe this is a time to pull your chips off the table slightly, maybe divest fifty percent or something like that. And these are conversations we have with our clients of being like, what is your risk tolerance now? You saw your portfolio dip in March by quite a lot. Were you comfortable with that? Was that okay with you? Are you you know, you you're happy with the gains that it got back, but how do you really feel with those losses? That risk tolerance right there is what we want to our clients to really understand in themselves because every investor is different in with that regard. And that's stuff that we talk to our clients about is understanding what is their appetite. Can they take that 10% haircut in hopes that they might get that 20% gain with the market upswing? Because some people just don't have that much time ahead of them. And as if you're entering retirement, you just don't want to play this game anymore. It's always better to you know secure and preserve a portion of that retirement nest egg so you're not having to get that second job in retirement just to help pay the bills.
0: And I guess at the end of the day, if uh, watching the markets on a daily basis is uh, is uh, making you <laughs> feel a bit nauseous, uh, that's oh. where getting some solid advice and helping you disconnect from the emotion and rather look at the, the, the approach of analyzing where things stand, looking at things like your appetite for risk, your timeline to retirement, as Alex just mentioned, and then um, coming up with a strategy to take you to and through retirement. If folks want to get more information, Alex, or maybe would like to talk with you and go a little bit deeper about their own questions related to their retirement plans or or coming up with a plan, maybe they don't really have one in place other than throwing some money out of their paycheck every couple of weeks, how can they best reach you? Oh, yes, you can reach
2: our toll-free number at 925-472-8300. And if you want to speak to me directly, you can always dial my extension at uh, 240 and we'd be more than happy to go through your finances, understand your risk tolerance, like I talked about, and really try to plan out the next you know, 10 to 20 years for you. Um, there's legacy planning. There's a lot of things that go into it that people don't really think about, that especially now that they've seen how volatile this market is, it is time to kind of have a conversation and use us as a financial therapist to kind of help alleviate some of the stress that this market has brought onto a lot of households.
0: And again, uh, there's no cost or obligation uh, for that oh, meeting. And so oh, if yeah. you'd like to get more information, uh, you can reach out to Alex Perry at Vitucci and Associates on the web at don't invest and forget dot com. That's don't invest and forget dot com, or you can also reach out by calling toll free, an easy number to remember, even if you're driving right now, because it's also very sound advice. Triple eight plan wise. That's eight eight eight. P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E, or again on the web, to schedule your appointment with Alex Perry, Pat Vitucci, or any member of the Vitucci and Associates financial advisory team online at dontinvestandforget.com. Alex, we appreciate so much the time and the update. There's Alex Perry, Premier Advisor with Vitucci and Associates. 5.30 from KFAX. Bada bing bada boom. Time for a look at a little traffic here. Let's get that done for you right now. We head over to the KFAX Traffic Center.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: We have followed the story, as you know, of the church in the South Bay that um Kind of almost went, shall we say, fist to cuffs with Santa Clara County racking up over $100,000 in fines. And, of course, that almost pales in comparison to what's happened to John MacArthur's church down in Southern California, where the county of Los Angeles decided to come in in the most punitive action possible and deny them rental rights for a piece of property, a parking lot, that the church has been leasing from the county forget this, nearly 50 years, without question. Suddenly, though, the county decided to use that as a large stick against the church. And, of course, these stories are not singularly unique to California. We've seen many across the country where, at certain levels governors have overstepped their authority perhaps well meaning but nevertheless overstepped their constitutional authority and of course unchecked that can have pretty significant consequences pastor sam Rohrer joins us president of the american pastors network and also the writer and producer and host of a weekly radio program called stand in the gap heard on over one i'm sorry over 40 stations across the country and sam it's always good to to talk with you it, it sounds from your experiences back there in um the uh, great state of pennsylvania not altogether different from what we've been experiencing out here in california particularly when it comes to challenges related to first amendment rights did we lose sam Excuse me, Craig. I'm sorry. I
3: had myself on oh. mute. I apologize. <laughs>
0: That's okay. I've done that <laughs> a time a or psychology. two. Ten minutes in, and I, I'm, I think I'm doing this fantastic monologue, and it's monologue, <laughs> all right. I'm the only listener. <laughs> no,
3: no, no. I, I did hear it. I did hear it. I apologize. But what I was no saying, problem. is problem. What you laid out, what you laid out, is exactly uh, correct, and it's part of what we have called out here in Pennsylvania as pastors, as we sent an open letter to the public, to the citizens, and to the legislature, and then I'll get into some more detail if you want. But at the end of the day, what is happening across America in all 50 states uh, only is a matter of varying by degrees. So when we in Pennsylvania look to California and see what's happening with your state out there and your governor, Pennsylvania is not where california is yet our governor uh and other governors have done a host of things that are changing the way people live work educate their children worship uh travel Uh, literally all of those things have been impacted by all of these COVID policies across the country and in almost in every state the people Are suffering to one degree or another. And at the heart of the day, I'll go to the heart of it, we entered in as pastors by saying we are all being asked to give up our freedoms on a host of all of the areas that I just talked about. And we and we said, all right, now we can put up with some of these things, but, and this is where we went, we said, but the question to ask is not necessarily Do we, you know, do we have 10 people in church? Can somebody tell us that we can have only 50 or 50% or I have to wear a mask or I have to keep myself six feet away from somebody else or my business is not essential so I can't open my doors as a restaurant. This is all across the country, right? And we said the question to ask is that all of those things, yeah, there's an answer to those, but the real question is, is what is the law? What is the law, and what is the authority behind these dictates that are causing all of us to actually give up or compromise our constitutionally guaranteed rights that come from God, as the as the Declaration says and our founders recognize? And that's what we went to the heart, and, and, and this is the issue. The governors of the various states, as executive branches of government, have the authority under the Constitution to only enforce the law. They cannot make the law lawfully, and neither can the, the the judicial system. The lawmaking body makes the law, the legislature. And what we have for these months across the country is lawlessness. By definition of law, it is tyranny. And that just simply means that someone is requiring someone else to do something, to give up a right they have, a constitutional right that to, to be a right to worship in our churches, as you were just talking about, or to work and prepare for my family and supply the needs of my family, or to educate my children the way I want, or however that may be. Someone's either asking me to give up a God-given or constitutional right, or requiring something for which they have no authority to require. And that's exactly what we're talking about, and that is the matter of lawlessness, Craig, and it must be challenged, and we say that, yes, pastors are the ones to stand up and lead the way on it, because ultimately, lawlessness is sin, uh, a violation of God's law, and a civil law. That is what lawlessness is, and that's all a matter of moral truth and biblical truth We say, pastors should deal with that. And that's why we stepped out here in Pennsylvania as pastors and did what we have done. And it really is a template for the country. And and, and with with that, I will stop. But this is the heart of it, lawlessness on the streets. But the lawlessness on the streets we're seeing, I believe, is being encouraged by lawlessness of those in office uh, across the country. And uh, that is a very serious matter.
0: Well, and I, I'm just, you know, as, as we're visiting here today, I'm just reading the story. Uh, this is out of Los Angeles, uh, where there are concerns about the overreaching regulations that have been put into place there um, by the county that would, in effect, as um, uh, Rosh Hashanah comes up and Yom Kippur starts at the end of the month, I think it's the, the 28th or 27th, something like that, Uh, that essentially says, based on the policies that are currently in place by the county of Los Angeles, uh, essentially it it equates to a ban on observing Jewish High Holy Days. So this is not something certainly that is singularly unique just to churches, though many churches, of course, have felt the brunt of this, as we delineated earlier. But I I have to wonder, at the end of the day, Sam, do do you see this as a a failure of government in the sense that short-term emergency measures were put into place. That was in March. We're here in September. Never has there been a gathering of a legislature to come back and say, OK, now that the immediate crisis is behind us, the first 15, 30 days are behind us, we need to talk about the <laughs> the implications here, the overreaching power, and, and really decide what's going to be Right for the state and allow the people to have a voice in those decisions, as opposed to this sort of uh, top-down authoritarian approach.
3: Uh, You you are correct. In in, in essence, all of of the governors began in Washington. Uh, the, the, The president declared a presidential emergency, executive branch federally, but all of the 50 governors all agreed to do the same thing. So this is a nationwide effort by the executive branch, to take power, given them by the respective legislatures. The Congress gave to the president years ago, not this president, but the executive branch years ago, uh, a sweeping powers. They, they, in Washington, they gave sweeping powers to Barack Obama. They consolidated massive powers, and the president here, uh, President Trump, exercised that nationally. All of the governors. The legislatures of their various states over the years have granted certain powers to their governors. In almost every case, it is very clearly called out that, the, that it is for a natural disaster, something that uh, is like an earthquake like you may have out there in California or tornadoes or the hurricanes uh, um, uh, sadly down south right now. Those things that cause visible, uh, objectively measurable damage uh, for which emergency help, a temporary consolidating of uh, regulations and laws in order to meet the needs of the people. That's what they were for. These, this year, um, under COVID, it was not for an objectively measurable uh, calamity, certainly not a natural disaster. Uh, these emergencies were declared before anything ever, frankly, had ever happened. They were projected. They were... Emergencies in the future they were potential, and so they never met the, they never met the criteria of the law, so the governors took these things some states thirty days, some states the laws were sixty days but I don 't know the legislature in this country that has actually recalled Pennsylvania legislature tried to recall and told the governor to rescind he denied it, um, and then it went to the Supreme Court here in Pennsylvania, and the Supreme Court upheld the governor against the legislature now in effect constitutionally you have a tremendous imbalance of power the balance of power between the three branches of government have been thrown out of whack by what is happening and you have the executive branches in the lead acting like kings making law and the legislature as long as they permit the governor to do it you will see this country move from a representative republic to some kind of a dynasty or a totalitarian regime. This is what is at stake, and uh, this is in violation, really, of not only the constitutional provisions, but it's a violation of of the authority structure established by God in uh, the Word of God, which says families have certain powers and authority, civil government have certain powers and authority, the church has certain uh, powers and authority. And so, the individuals, and all of this is being thrown out of whack, truly lawlessness, Craig. And, uh, and I'm going to put this on the record as well. It has come from encouraged by those in office, yes, that is true. The legislative branches of the very states are not recalling it. They must. There's no one else that can take it back. But I'm going to submit. and if I've talked to folks across this country and I've observed this, I think that we have been seeing lawlessness in the pulpits of America for a long time. And you say, "How can?" why are you saying that? Because when you have about 70% of the pulpits of America don't believe that God's Word is fully authoritative and refuse to preach the whole counsel of God, you have, in fact, the pulpits quiet on what sin is and what authority is, what God is all about, what law is all about, fail He actually teaches it to the people, and the people then begin to elect those in office who have no respect for God, or God's law, or the Constitution, and now we're at a time where you're having people who are saying, I don't care who God is, I'm arrogant, I don't care what the Constitution says, and I'm just going to make the law because I can. This is lawlessness. Our founders feared it, the Bible talks about it, and we better go back and get, get ourselves recalibrated with God's word and God's truth, or we're going to lose this vast, holy experiment of freedom that William Penn established in Pennsylvania long ago.
0: Well, and, and certainly, as you point out, Sam, uh, and I appreciate your remarks, that, that part of this uh, sort of snowball, this domino effect that we're experiencing here, is because there has been a lack of proper um, exegesis of scripture and understanding um, and, and instilling in the minds of believers the the, the penultimate authority of scripture. And, and when you begin to see a disintegration at that level, then it only stands the reason that eventually uh, it, it's going to begin to permeate at every level across the country, across government. And before you know it, It's all at risk. Sam Rohrer, president of the American Pastors Network. More information available at AmericanPastorsNetwork.net. All right, 549. We're a bit late. Let's get caught up on some traffic right now from the KFAX Traffic Center. And
1: now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: All right, welcome back to The Conversation. If you have um, not been out of town or off the planet, you're aware that an election is going to be happening here in uh, a scant few months. Uh, we're, I don't know, best in, uh, uh, 30, oh, I won't do the math here, but we're, we're, we're coming up on it quickly here. Needless to say, less than 60 days, 52-something days, something days. With all of that, we've been concentrating certainly a lot of the dialogue on presidential race but let's be mindful a third of the House is up for election the United States Senate so many seats and not just at the federal level but even at the local level it was interesting to note that in the combined membership of the current 116th Congress between the House and the Senate fully 73 representatives or senators come out of education 145 are lawyers, no surprise there 183 came from the business world, and 184, still the majority, come from politics or public service. What does that mean? That means that they likely, at some point in their political career, began locally on a school board or city council, something with local impact, and then kind of made their way up the chair. Brian Johnston joins us now. He, of course, is the host of Life Matters, heard every Saturday at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. We invite you to make an effort to tune in for that. And uh, Brian, you know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of people sort of pass by the local elections. They don't really realize the depth of the implication, not only in terms of how oftentimes it is a springboard for politicians to make an appearance on the, the national stage, but the level of impact when it comes to something like, say, a school board. And the influence oh. that the decisions that those school board members make on our children can be an indelible impact, can't it? It's incredible, and
1: the the reality, and Craig, you know this for a long time, really at Kfax, there's the conscientious desire to dig into the deeper facts, and this is so important at the local level, and very often. If you ask folks that are running for local office about the abortion issue, the typical response is not just from the candidate. The candidates want to dismiss it and not have to deal with one more issue. But even local folks think, well, that's the Supreme Court. The local stuff, that doesn't matter. It matters immensely because that's where Planned Parenthood, everyone thinks, well, the federal government's been giving money to Planned Parenthood. No, you don't understand how they think. At every level of government, they have attached themselves like leeches, if you will, literally living off the blood of government. They get money and resources directly from government, and they seek to influence that same government. And with school boards, we know last year the L.A. County wasn't just the county that gave a grant. But then the L.A. County Board of Education, the school districts of L.A. County, also gave a grant to match the county's grant to Planned Parenthood to open school-based clinics on the high school campuses. So if you think, well, you know, we're just going to wait, and the Supreme Court's going to solve all this, and it is good that Christians are paying attention to the significance of, of the national election. It's critically important. But if you don't realize what's happening locally and literally down the line, it isn't just L.A. County, it is Contra Costa. It is Santa Clara. It is Sonoma County. That they want their money from the government. It's the easiest way to get money. They actually, once they get that grant, they don't have to be held accountable for it. There's no accountability in so much of government right now. And they are committed to an ideology. You cannot be part of Planned Parenthood unless you support unlimited abortion. And every Planned Parenthood, even those that don't have an abortion clinic on site, they must be immediately uh, referred to a Planned Parenthood clinic that has an abortion clinic as part of it. So this is an insidious Approach to abortion, you know, and really what I'm seeing now, Craig, and I'm, I am concerned because I think the Democrat Party is actually waking up. The Democrat Party realizes they've gone too far and they're seeing that a lot of folks, and in spite of his brashness, a lot of Christians like the fact that Donald Trump is willing to step up and stand for principles of government that matter and democrats are losing a lot of their core constituency that care about bottom line issues i have seen though the biden and harris campaign unlike four years ago the democrat party is intentionally targeting the household of faith they're doing that but they're being very slippery and they're implying that oh no well joe biden is actually a man of faith and he he's a a catholic And you need to respect that, and he respects his Catholic faith. And there is, and we've talked about it, and and it's not just on your program, but most Christian stations talk about the fact that, no, your faith is more than your feelings. Your faith is more than simply which building you go to, that it must impact the actual life around you and the policies that you decide to support. Well, the Democrat Party has intentionally now decided to veer away from what Mrs. Clinton did. Mrs. Clinton basically wrote off the households of faith, of serious faith, and they decided they want to go and give lip service and imply that, hey, you can still be a Christian support and support Biden because there's these other issues. And they are willing to create a new morality, really. If you're looking at what our culture is doing, they're saying there is a bottom line. It's what the media says is moral. The media declares morality, and right now it appears you're a racist. It's just you are a racist. The media is saying that. Now, I want you to know racism is evil. I denounce racism, but it doesn't matter. They're saying the entire society is. And therefore, that has to be your operant decision when you vote. And literally, that's what Joe Biden is saying when he addresses the abortion issue. And several Democrats are saying that, oh, yeah, well, we respect people's rights to think what they do on abortion. We we regret abortions. No one likes abortions, but there's more important issues, and systemic racism is the one. And literally, that is what the Biden campaign is doing. They're saying this is the preeminent moral and ethical issue, this is God's number one issue, and it isn't just you personally. The entire American founding, you know, the 1619 Project, that's an attempt to declare America as essentially not Christian, that America, you can't help it, you basically must be condemned, because you're a racist. And apparently for some, there are some professors back east that um, literally that teach this, and even though they were white, they decided the only way to escape their whiteness is to declare that they're black. That's how serious it is. You can't escape your evil because of your skin color. Now, that is not solving racism. That is being racist. That goes against Martin Luther King's injunction that we be judged by the content of our character and not by the color of our skin. And so this is a very serious mediogenic attempt, and really an attempt by the Democrat Party and others, to change America's view of what is moral and right. And they intentionally are using the Church. They're intentionally putting it in in the framework of Christianity, and even Hillary Clinton didn't do that. So we're seeing a serious uh, attack right now when it comes to politics in this election and you're exactly right ultimately we need to look at the at the nationwide level but all politics is local and california pro-life is working and it's we're working very hard right now county by county to make sure that those running for school board city council it is incredible work if you want to help with your county, you can go to californiaprolife.org. We hope to, before ballots go out, we're going to have every county that people made any effort in, they're going to be listed there. You can see city council, school board candidates that have committed to stand for life. You need to know that when you vote, because so many people now are willing to vote, but they're still going to vote in ignorance when it comes to the most important elections they can change. Ten votes will change a school board election. Ten votes in the national election will be lost. So your votes and the votes of your friends can actually change your community. And, and that's how we're going to get a pro-life state. That's how other states have become states of honor, is their communities pay attention. And I'll be honest, in California, you know, we've, we haven't been good at that. The church hasn't been good at really getting real about local policies and local politics we've been sleeping on the job so we don't want to let that slip by in this very very important election
0: and and certainly time as brian mentions to get educated and understand exactly where the candidates stand on the issues because of that manner in which it has the capacity these local elections to impact so many layers so many levels and ultimately up to even the uh, federal level. Information available, go to californiaprolife.org. That's californiaprolife.org. And we invite you to tune in Saturdays at 11 a.m. for Life Matters with Brian Johnston, Ruston Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. Again, information available online at californiaprolife.org. 604, let's get you updated on some traffic right now. We'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Center for the latest.